0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 84 of Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate how everything, absolutely everything, even the most unexpected of subjects has a history, like sandals, lamps, or coal.
2: I want to do skin. Ooh. Scissors. Okay. I... <laughs> scissors. <laughs> scissors are <laughs> Cis- about cutting up things. I know. It's I know what? that. No, 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 no <laughs> Not in a dull way. In a, in a, in a deeply profound way. Ooh, okay. Yes. Let's do Scissors. Cutting up <laughs> texts. Putting them on the list. Rearranging them and Bibles and religion and all that jazz. So scissors. Yes. Skin Stereo- on our list. Yep. Brilliant. We'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, who knew that the history of soap is not just all about cleanliness. It's also about slipperiness. It's about advertising and art. It's about flattery and persuasion. It's about soft soaping somebody. <laughs> or that the history of... Do you like that? Do you yes. like what I did that? Very clever. Um, or that the history of stone is not just about castles. It's about power. It's about crime and punishment. It's also about childhood. Think mm. about small boys with catapults. Mm.
1: It's about trade as well. How do you transport uh, stone? It's one of the difficultest things to transport. The but difficult from ice it?
2: and it's snow. Also, it's about hypocrisy. People in glass houses mustn't throw stones. Very good. And all that.
1: Uh, <laughs> the man sitting opposite <laughs> me is the General Secretary of the Historical Workers' Party of the past. <laughs> It's no Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University, it's James Daybell. Hello,
2: James. Hello, Sam. Hello, Sam. I've been trying to keep a theme going through these introductions to you, but um, uh, my theme's going to be communist from now on. Communist from now on. Yeah. Mine, mine was sort of Roman. Oh. Uh, so you, this week, you are the centurion of centuries past. Very good. Uh, you are the um, famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. Hello, Sam. Hello. Um, are you well? Yeah, I'm really good. Good. Thank you very much. Um, which is
1: important—an important question to ask because we are going to be talking today about accidents. accidents. Wow, what a great subject! A
2: brilliant subject. How can accidents have a history different from purposeful disasters? Yes, it's very different. <laughs> so it's not about wars no. or or terrorist attacks it's about sort of you know things that happen by accident how can they have how on earth can they have a history so it's one of these wonderful subjects that the more you think about it
1: the more you realize that it's actually fundamental to
2: everything everything
1: everything, everything yes. that happens but not only that as historians it's fundamental to the way we understand the past it's about
2: discovering things by accident
1: yeah, yeah. and <laughs> things accidentally dropping out of pockets and yes. accidents causing events to happen in the past which we then discover by
2: accident Yes. It's a whole
1: it's a whole happens history is yes. a, is a kind of crazy jumble
2: the, of accidents the history of serendipity it is isn't it? I love that word um but it, you could also think about types of accidents from sort of aviation uh, transport uh, accidents ooh. car accidents amusement parks cable transports explosions <laughs> industrial ac- accidents medical accidents smog yeah all sorts of things it's also about squirrels which I'm going <laughs> to talk <you> about later <laughs> on <laughs> Uh, it's about squirrels and, <laughs> and tattoos.
1: I'd love to do The History of Squirrels. <laughs> yes. You know, well, the, all, all I know, is, is this is my junior pub knowledge, is that the grey squirrel is like some kind of horrible Japanese knotweed of the squirrel, basically. And it's been destroying all of the really pretty, nice English squirrels. Red squirrels. Yeah. It's not a Japanese grey squirrel, but if it, if it was a knotweed, it would be Japanese knotweed. How am I doing here? <laughs> you do very well. Thank you. i just, I'm just... <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> can't help laughing. Okay, um, but this is this is also a really we're making light of it. It's a deeply important uh, subject. Something um, that I've come across in my work quite a lot.
1: Ooh,
2: um, something I've come across in my work quite yeah. a lot. We've talked about it a little bit um, when we talked about chi- the history of childhood. And we talked about how do you... Oh, that was wonderful, wasn't it? We were talking about, yeah, how... How do you reconstruct a history of childhood? Because we often have coroner's records that allow... That talk about unfortunate childhood deaths. Yeah. But what that allows you to do is sort of piece together all this sort of incidental information about childhood play and where they spend their lives and (laughs) attitudes towards parents. A kid throwing bricks in the air. Yes. Yeah. And then it came down on his head. Yeah.
1: Don't throw bricks in the air, please. No, no, no. no.
2: Do not do this at home. Not
1: a good game. Um, so accidents has a fairly interesting part of my own personal academic are a, oh, history.
2: Are you, are you accident prone? No. <clears throat> Nor am I.
1: I am in my life and career, Do oh. you know what to mean, not physically.
2: Right. So s- things have s-
1: happened accidentally to you. Stuff happens accidentally to all the time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, my, my, my. Well, that, that, well not necessarily accidents, but good un- fortune, good fortune yes. I suppose, or, and bad fortune. Mm. Um, no, so I want to talk particularly about my career, um, do. As an academic. So I'm having my hands here, my first ever published piece of work. Mm. You are?
2: May I see? May I read it? Or...
1: May... Read the title.
2: Read the title. Uh, it's in the Mariner's Mirror, which is a brilliant uh, naval history journal.
1: Maritime History, published by the Society for Nautical Research, which everyone should join. Please go and do that.
2: Volume 90, number 2, May 2004, Um Hundred and fifty-two to one hundred and sixty-six. The High Life. It's May two thousand and fourteen years ago to this month. Ooh. The new the new copy Ooh. of the Mariners Mirror has just come out. Huh. The High Life: Topman in the eighteenth century Navy by Sam Willis. That's me. Good Go. t- good title. Quite so topmen are they? I mean, I know nothing about this. Right? Um, are they up up stuff and fall down? So up stuff and fall down. Yeah. yeah. Topmen. Yep. Are the young
1: agile. Boys who sailed on these great big warships like oh, HMS Victory, and, up the and they climbed up the rigging and did right. the rigging stuff. Right. Um, so I, before I did my PhD, which is on the 18th century navy, yeah. I went to sea and I learned to sail these ships. So I, I well replicas of them. Yeah. Um, I, I we gathered a kind of a very good first-hand understanding of what it's like to work aloft on, on a tall ship. ships, yeah. and. I then realized through reading a lot of eighteenth century background information secondary sources that there was a kind of a gap in the knowledge basically mm. and I think being able to do history properly at that at this kind of level where you're you're trying to fill in gaps is very important to be able to see them first and once you see them then the whole, your whole kind of historical world opens up, and it seemed very clear that no one had actually written anything about the people who did who 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 actually um operated the sails and um, and climbed up the rigging. And because of that, there was a great big misunderstanding about what it was actually like. And the main misunderstanding is that it was exceptionally dangerous and that you needed to have an enormous amount of skill to be able to do it. So there were lots of people arguing that the naval problems in certain periods was to do with an absence of skilled top men, yep. an absence of, um, of people who had the, the time to train. So I wrote an article which explained that actually it was a lot easier than it looked. It doesn't need a great deal of, of, of training, but particularly it was to do the dangers of it. So right. if you, um yeah, there were there were historians writing about it. Um, ruptures and falls were common. It required courage and a constant renewal of initiative and daring. And, and even one suggested that it was it was life threatening on a regular basis. Uh, and I did a bit of research and I argued and and I explained that it wasn't like that. Um, I explained all of the ways in which the captain could control the motion of the ship to make it less dangerous for the, the sailors aloft. I talked about climbing. I talked about historical accounts of climbing. I talked about them training and how they actually did it. Um and then I one of the problems here is that there are very few surviving surgeon's accounts. Right. Um and surgeon's logs and surgeon's journals but I found a handful of them and they recorded um the occasional fall from a loft, the occasional death from a loft, but many many more so were people dropping cannonballs on their feet, falling down hatchways and ladders, and other kind of normal accidents so um aboard h m s edgar seventy four gunship, in the two years between August seventeen ninety seven and seventeen ninety nine eleven falls were recorded, none of which were fatal, were from aloft. Oh. Seven of them were down hatchways and ladders. So this whole idea of, of people falling from a from a loft or falls from aloft
0: yeah.
1: um was completely unsubstantiated, it was untrue. There were the occasional things, but if you think about the quantity of of to- the, the sheer number of times people were sent aloft, and then you think about the number of people involved, um it really, really sort of puts it into perspective. Here you are, here's, um, here's an extract from the log of the Alexander in 1761. At 4pm handed main 7pm took a reef in each topsail. 9pm handed four to gallant sail, 10pm handed main to gallant sail, 2am set to gallant sail, 6am let the reefs out, and so on and so on and so on. And you could get as many as 80 men, sometimes 100, across the largest yard of a big sailing warship. So if you think about the sheer amount of people that are up there working aloft and the frequency with which they are aloft... Having one fall, which may not be fatal from a loft, it worked out about one fall a year per ship. Um, which is not. It's not statistically, that's it's not, not, not a lot. No, and um, I found wonderful evidence for captains pr- properly taking care. As, as it, it makes sense. Why would you not do this? So you get a load of 15-year-old boys on your ship, you look after them and you make sure they can climb safely. Um, really effective ways of training. They used to spread the main awning underneath the sails so they, they would feel like they had a bit of a safety net. Um, and then they would get them to go halfway up the lower bits and then a bit higher and then a bit higher. And um, what I liked about it is that once you realise the truth behind it, it's very logical and it makes perfect sense. Why would someone not train their their, their young boys? Um, so, yeah, interesting. So ships aren't that ships, dangerous? They are not that dangerous absolutely not that dangerous all you need to climb aloft is a bit of your own um, bit of confidence um one of the most interesting things i th- was I, f- I found these orders to tell sailors to hold fast when they were hoisting and and, and lowering the uh the topsail yard but the implication of being told to ho- hold fast is that you can be quite happily up the rigging not holding fast and the one thing yep. what, what do sailors need when, they, when they're working up a loft? they need their hands by definition. Your hands are free. So what they yeah. would do is they would brace their bodies in particular parts of the rigging, and there was rigging built and structured like a huge climbing frame to allow you to do that. Mm. So you'd brace your legs behind you, you'd brace your hips. It was all to do with your kind of core stability and your, your your lower body strength so that your hands were free, not for holding on, but so you could actually do the work that was required. You could hoist up the sails, you could tie up the gaskets, you could do everything. Um, yeah, so that was a So is there a sense that the
2: ship's captains were Safety conscious, yeah, absolutely. So, sort of, so this idea of health and safety isn't just a new no. invention. Um, and, and really interestingly, the, the,
1: um, the what puts that into I think a clear light is that one of the most famous mutinies of the period, seventeen ninety seven, is a mutiny on board HMS Hermione. That was sparked off by the deaths of two sailors who fell from aloft, but they were forced to do so. They were forced to hurry back by a nasty captain to avoid them being beaten. And the whole fact that it was considered completely and mm. utterly unfair caused mm. one of the bloodiest, most severe mutinies in the Navy. I mean, they, so it's like yep. the sailors self-policing and saying, actually, you can't do that. This is not the way that, that, that things work. But when you've got that many ships and that many men, you're always going to have bad apples, and it's always going to go yep. slightly wrong. But um, it's just that our, our understanding of it was just being seen through the wrong end of the telescope to use Excellent. an yeah. metaphor Excellent.
2: I mean, I want to take that idea of health and safety... Um, you know, back in time, you know, uh, people grumble about health and safety, and I think we, you know, in in the UK, we've been we've been slightly silly uh, about this, um, so much so that in order to take a group of students literally across the road uh, to the local museum, you have to fill out a sort of detailed health and safety form. Um, how you plan to may, it, Maybe that may, how, exactly how you plan. Well, we plan to sort of, you know, press the, you know, the even um, <laughs> the traffic light and stop and and walk over and you know. Watch the cars! They're having it. ridiculous, ridiculous. However, um, health and safety is a is a is a much earlier. Uh, it is a thing, invention. isn't it? It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, a really interesting historical thing. Very interesting thing. And we have here 1573. Um, Thomas Tusser's 500 points of good husbandry. Tusser was a, an English poet and, and farmer.
1: I, I was feeling quite smug and I was like, no, it's a very old thing. And I thought you were going to say 1873 <laughs> in the factories. No, no, no. Like,
2: no. 1570. 500 points of good husbandry as well for the champion or open country as also for the woodland or several mixed in every month with housewifery over and besides the book of housewifery. What he does in in this is he spells out certain things that you need to do in order to be safe in everyday life. And this includes, for example, um, the very important tip that when standing in front of brakeless carts on icy slopes, you can stop them from going down. You literally stand in front of it. Or… Is that that a good thing? It's a good thing. You you stand in front of them… So that you stop them sort of going away. So yeah, rather hitting than somebody leaving, else. hitting somebody else. Okay, right. Or um, cart drivers should carry a bag of snails and crack them on the wheels to keep
0: them lubricated. Okay. So snail, snail slime. Snail slime. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
2: Farm workers were told to walk in a sort of staggered diagonal line uh, when scything grass. So they don't Otherwise, scythe you, each so that other. you basically don't sort of you know chop each other's yeah. limbs off. Um, and there were also instructions about how you know if you were climbing up trees to bag crows, right? You know exactly how you how you do it so that uh-huh. you didn't sort of fall to your death.
1: Interesting. So there's
2: a, so there's, a there's a there's an interesting sort of Tudor. Uh, history of, of, of safety but uh, and this is where the squirrel comes in mm-hmm. um, tufty club were you ever a member of the tufty club no, i don't even know what that means my mother ran the local tufty club in hornsey in yorkshire uh in the late 70s in the little this little seaside town that i lived in um which was an invention of rospa the royal society for, for the french and Of accidents, right? Never heard of Rosper. Rosper founded at a public meeting in 1916. It was decided in London to elect a a safety first council to tackle the, and I quote, alarming increase in traffic accidents and the direct connection therewith of the restricted street lighting, which has been necessitated by war conditions. Effectively, what happens? The the motor car and and accident. I mean, not the motor car, but sort of. You know, wartime conditions, more people, you know, needing to switch off lights, more traffic yep. uh, on the roads, horse and cart, the invention of the of the car. You need a body to basically police all this, oh. come up with laws and rules in order to um, make people secure and safe. And there is a, a very interesting history of the heritage of Rospern. Uh, if you go to their website, you can find all of this out, which includes pedestrians facing oncoming traffic. You have this idea, when you're wandering down country lanes, that you walk on the side of traffic that is coming into you. So when you're going around corner, actually when you're going round corners, you have to swap over. But that became uh, a, a, a rule uh, by Rosper, um, the Highway Code, the invention of the Highway Code, in 1924, and the government version. In 1931, the curb drill mm-hmm. for children, and of course, um, cycling proficiency scheme, safety standards for fire guards, you know, and things like um, things like the drink driving campaign, yep. which does away with that sort of, you know, one for the road, safety for um, life at sea. Sa- safety for life at sea. Um, but the Tufty Club, right? Um, the Tufty Club was, you know, was absolutely outstanding. Why is it I called remember, the Tufty Club? I don't I understand this. the Tufty was this little squirrel. Oh, okay. And Tufty, so it was a series of stories that enabled you children to learn about road safety.
1: Uh, so Tufty and his friend. <laughs> he doesn't want to
2: get squashed. So Tufty Flufftail uh, was born in in 1953, was the creation of the late Elsie Mills MBE. And it was a series of stories that introduced the rules and regulations of crossing the road For children, a bit it was earlier than that. Stop, look, and listen uh, campaign. Um, But he Tufty was joined in his adventures by his friends Minnie the Mole and Naughty Willy Weasel. Willy Weasel was almost always the one who'd be sort of rushing to cross over. Uh, Mrs. Owl, the teacher, and Policeman Badger, who always popped up in the nick of time. Um, Founded in 1953, but by 1961, the Tufty Club was set up as a nationwide network of local groups and at its peak at its peak there were almost twenty-five thousand <laughs> registered tufty clubs you know that basically you know trained children to cross the road and there's a on the on the rosper website there are a series of messages uh left for tufty uh and among them uh, my favorite uh message for and this when you remember that this is literally a cartoon character squirrel um good morning uh, I was a member of the Tufty Club in the early 60s in milne just outside Glasgow. I've been compiling a tattooed memory sleeve, and today I had our little friend added. Regards, David. Another of my favourites. What, um, what's a tattooed memory sleeve? A memory sleeve? Well, you, you have a... Uh, you He's basically, literally tattooing sleeves on his arms. It, no, it's... Of memories. It is, it is... It's having... So your, your arm here... Yes, I'm sorry. Um, ...is tattooed with particular tattoos that bring back memories Memories for you that are that have associations Uh, i had my hair cut by a very nice uh hairdresser Mm -hmm. jeff goodwin's uh in exeter um and uh, craig i think it was had tattoos all over his arm were they Uh, memory sleeve and they were were memory sleeve tattoos amazing yes um another favorite um is hello tufty well it's been a long time do you remember me you taught me how to cross the road when I was 15. You were my hero when I was growing up. Sometimes when the road is very busy, I think to myself, how would Tufty cross this road? And it helps me to get... <laughs> Sam, could you read this? It's that one there. <laughs> I can't read it. I'm sorry. I just want the giggles. It helps me to
1: get over it safely. I used to be a member of your club. I was so proud. I put it on my CV and everything when I left school. Please, could you send me details of how I could join again? <laughs> I think my membership has expired. Also, do you sell cuddly tufties? I'd love to put one on my checkout in the supermarket I work in. Oh, bless! I, I like it's that. Very million. sweet. That uh, is lovely, isn't it? <laughs> isn't that lovely? So it, it is. It is in fact all about squirrels. It is all about squirrels. Uh, it's all about chalk. <clears throat> as well, tell me about chalk. It's a bit sadder this story. Um, two two similar sad stories. Um, Ooh, we which, don't like sad, do well, we? Well, I don't know. I, I, it kind of came to mind when I was I was in China last week and I went to the Shan copper mine, um, which is a huge open pit copper mine, and they oh god, dug, I can uh, anyway they've been digging copper there for yep. three thousand years, and are buried underneath the slag is a, is a completely perfect, immaculately preserved two thousand year old copper mine. Um, on th- amazingly clever on three levels. Um, they dug tunnels to get in. They dug tunnels to get out. They dug tunnels to get water from underground streams up for the smelting process. They dug more tunnels to help them um, deal with flooding. T- and amazing. Um, but looking at it and exploring those tunnels really made me think about mining safety, which mm. also um, raises the question of uh, uh, civilian gallantry medals because of mining disasters. Oh, yes. So I'm going to talk a bit about this. Um, Don't do. One one of the, the most striking stories. Um, so, the if you don't know, if you've got ten minutes spare, Google the Edward Medal because it is a medal. It's like the Victoria Cross, but it's for civilians. And the stories that survived, there are not a lot of them, but are absolutely astonishing. And one of them it's to do with the Wellington Pit disaster in Whitehaven, Cumbria, in nineteen ten. Um, there was a fire. There was a, a terrific explosion. And there was some suggestion that not all of the the men down the mine had died. So everyone else piled in to the roaring flames to go and get get as many of these people out as they could. But even though they managed to get seven of the original shift of 143 of them. Mm -hmm. um, So an enormous amount of of men died. Local community was transformed. Um, 85 women were widowed. 260 children lost their father's. Um, but sixty-four men were awarded the um, the Edward Medal for this, and uh, I just wanted to read out this this quote from the London Gazette. Right through the night and all the next day, rescue parties were at work trying to reach the workings where the missing men were entombed, but it was extremely difficult. The atmosphere dense. Some of the timbering in the mine was on fire, so timbering is the, is what holds up the um, yep, the tunnels. Mine. The only means of ventilating the portion of the pit where the men were trapped was entirely cut off. At the pit head, there were near heart-rending scenes. Women with children in pain and anxiety waited for news of their loved ones. Many of them stayed at the pit head all night and the whole of the following day refusing to leave for rest or refreshment. And a number collapsed, worn out by their vigil. Now, when I'd say i talk about chalk, was one of the interesting things is that when they actually managed to get the fire under control and they went back in, they, they, they realised that they were right and... Um, a number of people had survived the initial explosion. Um, they didn't go on to survive the, the subsequent fire, but they'd written messages on the walls in chalk for their loved ones. Um, which were actually, the, the, um, the Grenfell, Grenfell Tower has been in the news a lot uh, recently yeah. with the with the um, public inquiry, um, and there've been harrowing stories of people leaving messages on phones. You know, it also happened in the Twin Towers, but yes, exactly here right. it was to do with chalk and to do with 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 this this terrible explosion. But that in turn reminded me of the Kursk, the um, Russian nuclear sub, which suffered an explosion. One of, the, um, one of their torpedoes had not been maintained properly. Um, it was very toxic fuel, came through, exploded, caused another explosion. But a number of those sailors survived the initial explosion. Um, they were not saved in the end because the Russians, would, would for a number of reasons, didn't send um, the rescue party as early as they could. But when they finally raised the submarine there were um similar to the to the Wellington pit there were they found letters mm. written um written by the people who were there to loved ones written well it's too dark here to write but i'll try to feel it looks like we have no chance 10 to 20% we'll hope that someone will read this here is the list of those present from the other sections who are now in the ninth section and will try to escape hello to everybody don't despair and that was from uh, Gosh, chilling, Captain Dmitry Kolesnikov. Another one. If you are reading this note, it means I'm dead, but your lives will carry on. And I ask that my son becomes a true man like I used to be. And that was senior midshipman Andrei Borisov. So, Goodness yeah. Um, accidents. Accident, um, horrific, yep. horrific, horrific accidents.
2: And one of the best projects I've seen recently about accidents is a social and economic history project coming out of Oxford University run by... Stephen Gunn at Merton, and it's the Everyday Life and Fatal Hazard in 16th Century England project. Um, I've known Steve for many, many years. He's a brilliant um, Tudor historian, works on one of the the leading experts on Henry VII. And this is his new project, and he's been doing it for the last five or six years. And it is a phenomenal project. It is based on 9,000 records Mm. coroner's inquests so coroners would be called in when there was an unnatural or violent death so something needed to be so somebody didn't sort of die in bed of natural causes but something or other happened and so what you have is this extraordinary snapshot of daily life and what's interesting about this is that you can you can look at this as a way of looking at risk Mm. In in Tudor society, you can look at it in terms of the kind of activities that people were in. You know, you, you can look at it then, just looking at the kinds of things that were were dangerous, but yeah. also all the incidental, um, all the incidental details that are contained in this allow us to see so much sort of in, in a very sort of rich way life in in yeah. Tudor England. What is extraordinary about it, though, is the way in which it tells us. You know. The kinds of deaths that were quite common throughout this period. One of the most common and dangerous activities was archery.
1: Mm.
2: And there are all sorts of descriptions of people, you know, not only people who are who manage to sort of shoot themselves uh, while they're while they have their bow and arrow, but also people who are spectators or nearby who get shot. Yeah. Um, summer is one of the most dangerous times of the year because, ah. of course, everyone is outside. They're out in the fields. Yep. They're collecting hay and all sorts of harvesting and all sorts of things Mm. but it's the most extraordinary
1: yeah and there'll be some wonderful stuff being published yes um out of that out of that research definitely brilliant well thank you very much for listening everyone if you like what you hear please leave us a review on itunes you subscribe to the podcast tell all your friends
2: we're on twitter you can follow me at dr sam willis and you can follow me at james daybell and you can follow us on at unexpected pod we are truly Really proud to be part of the excellent history hit network home of dan snow's history hit and other monumentally brilliant shows um and check out our website histories of the
1: unexpected.com it's got information about books it's got information about our live shows and we hope to see you soon come along all right then bye
2: bye